0: Baruch Hashem, we have the honor to be in uh, Rabbi Shitrit's house here in Ramat Shlomo after midnight, Lag Baomer. I heard the the noise of your music when we passed by. We are looking for myriv Minyan. We heard it from far away, Baruch Hashem. So first of all, I want you to know, for those of you who still did not know. One of the most important yeshivot on earth is Mikdash. Yes! yes. Oh, yeah. I know personally so many boys that came there and came back to New York, Bnei Torah, Mamash, very serious, as Mamash, a factory to create holy souls. But after all of that, it's still 100% in the hand of each one of you. You can have the best rabbis in the world, the best Yeshiva, the best atmosphere. Imen, Anili, Mili. If I'm not going to invest time in my life, in my future, in my neshama, nothing is going to come out. I want you also to know that life of a human being looks like stairs. One stair, second, third, fourth. In life, you have to be always on a move. If you're stuck in one uh, place, that's a failure. You have to always be on a move. Rabbi Nachman Mibretzlev said this famous song that everybody sings, The whole world is a narrow bridge. Why didn't he use the word narrow road? Why bridge? You know, when Chachamim speaks, every word is calculated. Nothing is random. So Rabbi Nachman says, Why? Because on a road, you can pull over and rest and sleep for a few hours. And when you sleep, it's like you did. Right? But on a, on a bridge, there is now one second to stand. You always have to be on the move. That's the pshat. you got to be on the move. You there's no time to rest on a bridge. You can't, you can't stop. So you have to always go up. Always go up. Today you have to be better than yesterday. Yesterday you had to be better than the day before. Tomorrow you have to be better than today. Constantly. And you don't ever use this excuse, I'm still young. Ah, it's only first year. Second year, everybody is steigen. Don't worry. That's 100 percent the advice of the Yitzhara. Why steigen from the second year? Not why not from the first hour you arrive. That's a tzata yitzrara. First of all, who promised you you'll be alive next year? Everybody thinks life is waiting for me. Take it for granted. You know, number one. Number two. We have a rule in the Torah. Everything is based on Torah. Don't say, when I will have the time to learn serious, when I will get there, I will become serious and I will learn. Why? Because Hashem is upset that right now you know the truth and you know you can grow right now. And you say, ah, let's do some, you know. Let's have fun. And then next year, I will be more serious. That's not the right approach. The right approach is that every second of your life, you must be and must fulfill your maximum potential. That's the right approach. But the the point is that every time you go to the next level, not always you have the merit to get there. So what happened? The Satan is a prosecutor. Everything about your life, you object. When Hashem wants to give you something, wants to elevate you, higher class, higher level, higher Hevruta level, times of shiduchim, all these things, in a time of the life of a person, immediately who shows up? Who shows up? The Satan. Objection, your honor. What exactly this guy did to deserve it? I object. So what happened? It's like in a court case. They have to make a plea bargain. Okay, we'll take away from him this and this and that. We'll punish him for this and this and that. And you will not object and we will elevate him to the next level. That's one way. Second way is, sometimes Hashem elevates you to the higher level. You did nothing to get there. He puts you over there. He wants you to taste from this feeling to be here. And after you got used to it, he leaves you. And you go back to where you were and now you have to get there on your own. And once you get there on your own, he does it on the next level and the third level. This is how it is. He let you taste. Now do it on your own. Because life, it's all a test. <laughs> Every second I'm testing you. like playing games with him. Let's see how you will react. What do you think? Is only testing Abraham? He's testing every one of us, every minute, and every second of our life. There's not one second in life that it's parv. Every second is a test. Every second, how you eat, how you talk, how you walk, where you're walking to, what time you wake up, how you daven, what you're looking at, what you're thinking at. Every second is a test. Life could be more than a billion tests. It's one huge test that is built with billions of tests. Another one, and another one. How you learn? How you stop? How many cups of coffees you make? How many times you go out because you need some stupid rest? For no reason. How many times you heard a friend of yours from the room say, Today I'm not in a mood to learn. Leave me alone. Today I need to rest. I didn't. I, I'm not in such a good situation now. Don't be a nudnik. Today I need a rest. I'm not in a mood today. No, no. Today I'm not in a mood. Under the water. So the question is: Let's ask a question. Who say you have to learn only when you're in a mood? That's the first question you have to ask. Where does it say such thing? In life we have many obligations, things that we have to do, and 99% of them we're not in a mood to do. When you have to feed 10 children, if you wake up at 6, run quickly, and go and walk 10 hours in the sun, like many workers that walk, or to drive a bus here in Yerushalayim, in Geula. Do you know a bigger punishment than that? <laughs> so now, do you think the bus, that drives, the driver that bu- drives the bus every day for 30 years, do you think he's in a mood to sit on a wheel every day? Why is he doing it? Because in his mind, if I won't do it, my children won't have what to eat. So he's forcing himself every day, again and again and again, to go against his will. Do you know what's the difference between a person and an animal? What's the main difference between us and two million different species? Choice. Choice? I'll tell you why choice is not correct. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well. Well, what do you think you have a special treatment here? <laughs> <laughs> actually everybody answer choice it's not, everybody thinks that it's choice that. but I, I want to ask you a question if you have a dog God forbid <laughs> and you put in front of the dog meat and you put uh, cheese. The dog comes, he smells, he's in a mood for meat, he will eat the meat. Maybe tomorrow he'll come and he'll eat the cheese. If you take the dog in a place with water, he may jump into the water, a week later he may not jump into the water, so he makes his own choices, right? One time he chooses to swim one time he chooses to sleep, one time he chooses to attack someone, and one time he chooses to eat. So he makes the choices. So we also make choices, and he also makes choices. So it's not the answer. So what's the difference?
1: The anim- animals live by routine. Where we can, where we can just actually, well, we have the ability to, to think about it and actually live on a higher standard than just routine.
0: Chazal using an expression, mitzvat anashim melumada. You know what it means? That you are a robot. Everything you do in your life, systematically. This, that, your mind is somewhere else. You do mitzvot, birkotta shachar. You don't remember where you are. Where am I? Did I say ha Torah? Not. Did, come on. Did you say ha Torah? I'm not sure if I say it. A minute ago, you're just saying birkotta. Why? You're a robot. Everybody is a robot. One of the most difficult things is to get out of the routine and to actually focus on what we do. How many times you drive to a place, somebody is busy with his phone, talking, speaking, This all of a sudden you find yourself in a place. How? Automatically the brain takes you to where you need to go because he repeated that for many times so he knows where he's going. So the idea is we also go by routine and we also act by instinct. When you see a delicious... Uh, Chulent of the Rebbe, let's say we were all sitting here hungry, and now you, the chulent would be served over there. What would happen to the lecture? <laughs> With the end of it. <laughs> little by little, everyone will go. Why? People like chulent, so especially Thursday night. So everybody lives by instinct, right? If somebody walked through the door, what happened? Three hundred boys in yeshiva, another person, all day like this. Why are you looking? Instinct. You're curious. You want to know who came. It's entertaining. It's a form of entertainment. Some boys will never look. They say, that's it. From now on, I don't care what's around me, when I learn. Did you see Reh uh, self learning and the Prime Minister of Israel walked in with his bodyguards, with walkie-talkie, with so much noise, stood next to him for minutes Minutes, the Prime Minister of Israel is one step from Rav Ovadia, standing right here. Rav Ovadia is here, and he's here. And the bodyguards, they don't understand what's going on. It was so m- deep into the Gemara. For minutes, he said to, to the grandson, no, no, don't disturb the rabbi. <laughs> I think he's regretting that sentence until today. Why? Because he thought maybe it would be another 10 seconds, another 20 seconds. But he was standing there for minutes, and there's a video there. What an embarrassing moment. The Prime Minister of Israel, who controls thousands of Israeli spies and Mossad and thousands of nuclear bombs, who has the ability to destroy the whole world by pressing few buttons. Netanyahu has a lot of power. Hashem gave him a lot of power. There's few people in the world that has the ability to destroy the world in a minute. He's one of them. You have Putin, you have uh, the Germans... You have America, Sleepy Joe, and you have... <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy, Sleepy Joe may, may do it. He may even do it.
1: <laughs>
0: so, so, the idea is that he has so much power, for 30 years he runs the show here, and he stands next to the rabbi in front of a video camera, And he knows that the whole world will watch it tomorrow. And Rav Ovadia did not even realize he's there. And the walkie-talkie is walking, and the guys are talking. That's how deep he was into the Gemara. And when the grandson yelled in his ear, Saba! The Prime Minister of Israel is here! When he saw him, he got nervous. Wow. Embarrassing. That means a different level of learning. When I learn, I'm not in this planet. There's no way to reach me. There's no emergency. Do you know that sometimes a person learns and the Satan arranged that all his emergency problems comes in the middle of his learning? Why is it? Why is it? I'll tell you why. Because the Satan knows that this person is not strong enough. And if he's about to lose money, or if Shidduch is in danger, or his parents uh, are about to do something that he doesn't like, he's so nervous that in a second he forgets the Gemara. And he runs outside, he makes phone calls, and all Seder is finished. But if a person says, between 9 and 1, Seder is shown, I do not touch anything besides the learning, my phone is off, everything is off, my mind is clear, and then few times Hashem will test him and he will not do anything, that's it, I'm learning, I'm not here. Then he will never have any problems anymore in the learning. Nothing will distract him. Why? If Hashem would want to give him a problem, he will make sure to give it to him between one seder to another, or when there's a day off, or something like that. Why? Because he knows that if I will bring it to him when he learns, he doesn't care about what's happening. Everything is disconnected. Therefore, Hashem does not, will not do something knowing He's not going to respond. If Hashem wants Him to respond, He will make sure. Same thing, Hazonish. Chazonish made Himself a rule in life. Everything I do, I try maximum twice. Never third time. I try one thing, did not work out. I will try once again, did not work out. I will never try for the third time. You may ask why, you have to be consistent. Who who say you have to give up after two, two times? Try third, fourth, fifth, until you make it. We're talking about things of personal benefits. Of course, if you try to understand the Gemara, even a thousand times you have to try until you figure it out. There's no question about it. Chalzonish for three days was sitting on one line in the Gemara, for three days without sleeping and eating, until he hit the table, And he said, cannot be. It has to go. Zechayav la lechet. And a second later, he got the answer from Shammai. Why? Because he already reached his max. After he reached his max and he couldn't figure it out, Hashem gave him the answer. But he only got the answer because he gave his life for the Torah. And three days he did not care until he would figure it out. Because for him, nothing existed besides the Torah. There was nothing in his life besides Torah. That's it. He decided to be a real bentua in the highest level. So the Chazonish never tried. If he needed to get money from someone, let's say he has to call. He would call once, person did not show up, he may try second times and that's it. After that you will never hear from him again. You may ask, wait a minute. I try once, fail. Second fail. Third, the guy still did not pay me. Fourth did not pay me. By the fifth time, he broke. And he came and paid me. So if I would go according to Chazonish, who knows how much I would lose? Who says it's a good thing? Good point, no? Here, many people got what they wanted to get after 10 attempts. Shiduch, for instance. The Shat Khan, you call him, I, we would be interested to do Shiduch with this girl. Can you check? Nothing happened. He calls after three days. Did you have time to check? No, no, I was busy. Bezret Hashem Sunday. Sunday he calls. No, did you check? Oh, no, no, not yet. Soon I'm going to do it. He calls Monday. No, did you check? I will try. I called. It and There was no answer. We have to wait for an answer. No, already five times. Six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, yeah. Finally they say, okay, if you insist so much, they agree to go out. So what, what, is, what does he think? If I would not be consistent, I will never get this girl. Very good, very good that I'm a nudnik. It's it's great. It's you know you many people are obsessive. They try sometimes nine times in a second. Okay, wait five seconds. No, no, it has to be obsessive. Needs right now. There's no patience. So I'll tell you how it works a person that has the level of confidence of the chazonish he knows whatever Hashem wants to give me I will try once, second time if I did not get it he already knows I will never try for the third time, so he has two options to give it to me, first and second if He really want to give it to me, he has only two attempts first, it will not work I will try once again if I did not get it for the second time Hashem already knows me I will not make Ishtadlut more than two times. That's the maximum Ishtadlut I will do. So if he really wants to give me that thing, he will find out when to give it to me. First or second. But when a person is constantly trying to get parnasa or to get uh, on a trip or to go here and to... Whatever he's trying, since Hashem already knows that he will try and try and try and try because he has no Imuna and no confidence in Hashem, and he's in a level of if I won't do it for myself, no one will do it for me. Because Hashem knows he's going to try even 20 times, he punishes him and give it to him after 10 times. So you actually bring on yourself a lot of unnecessary effort. And it's all a punishment, but you don't realize it. You think, thanks to my effort, I got it. One day you will find out and Hashem will tell you, no, you fool. Because of your effort, it took you a month to get it. I'll give you an example. There was one Gabbai in a shul. He did not know how to read and how to write. Complete Burva HaMaharetz. But for 20 years he runs the shul. One time the rabbi was replaced there. There's a new rabbi. He's more up-to-date. He comes to the Gabbai for a meeting. He says, can you show me? All the papers of the shul, all the numbers, I would like to check how how the shul is running. The Gabbai said, "Vodarav, you don't have to worry about papers. It's all over here. I don't write, I don't read, I run the whole show for my head. I can tell you everyone how much alios he has to pay, who who owes what, everything I know. That's my job, that's my life. The rabbi told him I'm very sorry, that's not how a shul should run. Everything has to be written. I need you to write everything, but I don't know how to write. So I said, okay, so we will have to replace you. We will pay you for the 20 years you were uh, a here. We'll give you a nice amount of money and retire. And we get someone that, that have a notebook and write everything. So he got fired. He went to his Rebbe. What am I gonna do now? I don't know how to read, I don't know how to write. What am I going to do? 20 years, I cleaned the shoe. Like, all of a sudden, I'm on my own. The Rebbe said, don't worry. Between this city to that city, there is no motel. Go in the middle of the road. The middle. Find a place and build motel with a restaurant. That will be very successful business. Thank you, Rebbe. He went, he found a place, built a motel. Business is booming. People say, wow, motel, we can have a rest. They take a room, they sleep in the morning, they have shakhri there, they have breakfast. People that don't even need to go on the road, they just go to the motel. <laughs> because it's going out of routine. Business is booming, he, he built more floors, he expanded the, the motel, became a rich man. Now he has so much gold coins, he doesn't know what to do. Someone told him, why are you hiding the money by you? It's dangerous, go to the bank open an account and invest it over there. I went to the bank, he said, I have a lot of gold coins. I don't know what to do with that. I heard the bank makes good investments. I want to make some interest on my money. They see how much money this guy has, of course they have a seat, bring him a nice glass, you know, treating like a king. Okay, we will open you this account, you're gonna make 10% on your money, doing nothing, you can relax, very good, here here are the paperwork sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here he said to him, excuse me I don't know how to sign I don't know how to hold a pen and I I don't know how to read I will trust you and you will trust me the manager in the bank said to him what are you telling stories here you think I have time for your jokes a big shot like you doesn't know how to write hotel like this, so much gold, it cannot be he said to him, no I promise you, I really don't know he said, I, I, I don't buy it it's impossible that you're not educated he said to him, now it's his turn no, he said, you know, you are the fool if I was educated I would clean the bathroom of the shul for the rest of my life
1: <laughs>
0: Do you know what made me rich guy that my head is stuffed, empty. Instead of brain, I have one wire. If you cut it, my both ears will fall off. (laughs) And that's how I became a millionaire. I know thousands of people. A lot of them are very educated. Universities, these doctors, these. But who are the real successful, very wealthy people? The ignorant ones. Those who came to America know English, barely speaks the language. <laughs> you have to see them all with their businesses and real estate and mansions. They, they never learned, some of them, even high school. They came to America and they own fortune. Then I know a lot of doctors who always call and complain that they cannot pay the bills. One say, I'm giving a shot to my patients, and it costs me $78, and the insurance pay me 79 how can I be in a business? They know I'm gonna have to give the shot anyway, take advantage on me. Many doctors don't take care of insurance in America. Why? Because they pay them nothing. So unless you're a superstar, you will never make money as a doctor. You you burn ten years of your life. And let's say you are a superstar. Maybe some of you are thinking to go to medical school. Khazdu <laughs> 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 Shalom, true. True. Khazdu Shalom, you're right. I should have said Chazr Shalom. I said it in Levaron.
1: <laughs> so.
0: Why Chazr Shalom? Who can tell me why? Okay,
1: I'm
0: now I'm going to tell you when the Rav said Chazr Shalom, when he said Chazr Shalom, <laughs> look how the Rav got nervous. No, he said it. Shalom.
1: No, the...
0: When he said Chazr Shalom, in his mind he's thinking to replace the Torah with this? as Shalom. But there is another reason for it. When you become a doctor, do you, can you find one day in your life that you don't commit serious crimes against Hashem? You actually push yourself to a situation, you'll be forced to make a lot of different sins. Who knows what am I talking about? When you're a doctor in Beersheva Hospital, or in Haifa, or in Yerushalayim, half of your patients are Ishmaelim. Half of them are Antisemites who want to kill us all. They come to you and you have to save their life. And tomorrow they may kill one of our brothers and sisters. It happens in Be'er Sheva Hospital. They took care of a Palestinian woman for so many times they saved their life. She was finished. After many times that they took care of her, she came with bombs all over her body to blow up all the doctors who actually saved their life. They caught her with the bombs. All she had to do was to press the button and everyone would be dead there. Inside the hospital, nobody suspected her. because She was in and out so many times. Famous video. She would kill over 100 people there in a... In a Department over it. So imagine now Chazva Shalom. If she would do it, who would be held responsible for that? The doctors that saved their life. Where does it say in the Torah you're allowed to save the life of your enemy who called for your death? The Torah says Abal Or Lo go, Not kem to cure him. So here is one example. What happens if two gays come to you? Hey, can you cure can you, you, my husband? <laughs> you are a religious man. Have to take care of them inside the room. And take care of two people that Hashem cannot stand.
1: Whoa.
0: You went to medical school. It cost you a million dollars over the years with the dorm and all the expenses. And who, look who you're taking care of. Same thing in Israel. In Israel, in places that are not religious, you have more dogs than people. <laughs> walks in Batyam, Hulon, Rehovo, Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, oh, a person walks with seven dogs. <laughs> People in Israel and in America, they don't realize that they actually became a servant of a dog. A Jew, a divine soul that a Jew has, half of his day goes to be a babysitter of what? of the filthiest animal in nature, spiritually. Do you know what a punishment it is? You have to go and collect what the dog left behind him. <laughs> Do you understand what it is? A son of Hashem, this is what you're busy with? Taking the dog three times on the street? When my uncle, Alava Shalom, they became Baal et I used to live in Ramli and they had a little dog. Curly black his name was billy <laughs> in this for some reason all the dogs have american names george billy john i don't know steve 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 i remember there was a dog in my neighborhood stevie tough
1: <laughs>
0: so now this dog was billy when they moved to Yerushalayim, to the Bukharian neighborhood, שכונת Bukharim, שכונת Bukharim, everyone is ultra-orthodox there. You don't have modernim over there. My uncle, Alava Shalom, had to take the dog three times a day. Tsarba בעלי gotta take care of him. He walked in a Bukharim. Everybody gives him looks. Where did you come from? Why did he even move here? People giving him dirty looks. Why did you bring this animal to our neighborhood? Nobody understands. How can it be? He went to Abben on Zion, Abba Shaul dadzal. And he said to him, I don't know what to do. He said to him, don't you have any relative far away from Yerushalayim that you can give them the dog and they take care of him? Yeah, my son lives in Ramleh. Okay, give it to him. He gave it to his son. Three days later, he comes mm-hmm. home. Billy walked all the way from Ramle, which is 60 kilometers away, all the way to the Bukharian neighborhood, <laughs> went to the second floor and sat by the door. Oh
1: my
0: he, re- he found the apartment, 60 kilometers. But it gets better. This Billy was definitely a gilgul of someone because in five days of fast, he refused to eat. No matter how much food you give him, those days he never ate. He only eat non stop the rest of the year. Tisha Be'av, Schweizer, Rebbe Tammuz, Esther, Yom Kippur, he doesn't eat. My aunt said, Did you ever see such thing? A dog that refused to eat on a fast day. You give him the food, he said, He walks out, he doesn't touch. Since Billy came back, he went again to Rabbin Siyon Abba Shaul and said, What am I doing now? We said to him, You have to take care of him. The embarrassment that you have here will clean your averos from the past. <laughs> the question is, why did I say that dogs is the filthiest animal out of two million species we know in nature? The dog is very faithful. He can watch the sheep, he can watch your home, he can save life, he can recognize terror terrorists, he can smell drugs in JFK. He does a lot of good things, the dogs. Dogs do much more good things than bad things. The only bad things they do, they make a lot of noise. Especially when I give lectures in private homes. There's always a dog behind the wall. And as soon as the lecture starts, the satan wakes him up. Wake up, what are you sleeping? Time to make noise. You understand? So the question is why the dog is, uh, is filthy it's a pasuk in the Torah it's a verse in the Torah the Torah say if you want to exchange exchange dog with the sheep you have a friend, he has a, a nice sheep and you have a dog you, you tell him I would like to give you the dog and you give me the sheep because I would like to sacrifice that sheep in Bet mikdash. Are you allowed to bring this as a sacrifice? The Torah says not allowed. When you change the dog, right? You should not bring Etnanzona zonah or mechir kelev. That's what the Torah says. What about a pig? You can do it. Take a pig, give it to the goy. He's going to give you a sheep. You can take the sheep and sacrifice it. But dog? Hashem says I don't want. But it's not a dog, it's a sheep. It used to be a dog. Don't bring it to Bet HaMikdash. Why? Right? Even according to Kabbalah According to Kabbalah because even according to Kabbalah spiritually it's the worst thing. But you should know one thing. The worst Gilgulim, the worst reincarnation are in dogs. The worst but it doesn't mean that if the dog is suffering, the neshama suffers. But if he lives in a beautiful palace and they take care of him, and he eats well, and he plays around, and he has a trainer, he has the life, this dog. Someone just left $150 million to his dog or cat. This dog, this dog is wealthier than all of us combined. <laughs> I wonder how he will invest the money. Maybe he'll buy a Tesla. Maybe he'll invest it in Bitcoin. The dog, hundred. Why did he give the money to his dog? What is the dog gonna do with 150 million? To punish his family. I'd rather give it to my dog, the money goes to the grave, than to give it to you. Some guy. he gave the money. So if the dog has the life, it doesn't mean that you don't suffer. Or if you suffer in a cold and looking in a garbage what to eat in the snow, Oh, so now of course you saw. No, it's nothing to do with the situation of the dog. It's that Hashem takes a Jewish soul and attaches it to a nefesh of a dog. This connection kills the neshama, worse than Gehenu. Worse suffering. Why? You take the purest thing with the neshama of a Jew to the filthiest nefesh of a dog and put them together. Right now your neshama is connected to a nefesh of a Jew, which is pure. Why it's pure? Because you eat kosher food and the food creates blood and the blood is pure because the food is according to the laws of the Creator. But when you eat non-kosher food, the blood is contaminated. The Torah (laughs) says, What's the nefesh? The blood. So as long as the blood is in the body, it glues the neshama into the body. When the blood drips up, the neshama has to go. It cannot be the Neshama stay in the body if there's no blood left. So we see a direct connection. That's the blood. And that's when we slaughter the animals, we put a lot of salt to remove all the blood. Because we're not allowed to eat this blood. If you eat this blood, you're becoming an animal. You become aggressive, you push, you you have disrespect, you're arrogant, you attack. Hazan said that before Mashiach comes, the generation will be like the face of the dog. Pnei dor ke-pnei The question is, why didn't it say Pnei dor ke-pnei a is more disgusting than the face of a dog. Some dogs are beautiful. Nice fair, blue eyes, you saw. The huskies. So why not uh, Pnei dor ke-pnei everybody hates. Go to an Arab with a pig, push the pig on him. Whoa. See what's going to happen. <laughs> wow, Khanzir, chanzir. Going crazy. They also hate dogs. How did they learn to hate pigs and dogs from the Torah? Where else they would know about it? The question is now: Why Hazal use the face of the generation is like the, in the face of a dog? Who knows? What's so bad about a dog? You know, Hazal, Every time they compare us to animals. It's very, very deep. For instance, (laughs) Eve Kalka Nesher. Nesher is the biggest bird and the heaviest one. Why they say be light like the eagle? Those doves, little birds, they don't even weigh a quarter pound. Eagle is huge. You ever saw how big is an eagle? Six feet wide it can be. Very big. If you tell me you want me to be light, meaning not lazy, say, be light like a dove, like uh, other birds. It's a lot of small birds. Why you choose the biggest one? Because the eagle, although it's very heavy, he flies the highest. Compared to, his, to his, uh, his weight, his performance is the greatest. The other ones, they're light but that they don't have the ability to lift such a heavy body to such high heights. That's why they tell you, be like the eagle. When they say, Ratz katzvi, why they use a deer as an example, the leopard runs faster than the deer. Usually it always will catch it. So why they use the deer? If the leopard runs faster, I should have said, the answer is the Namir can run, but he never looks around and never has time out to evaluate the situation. He runs and runs like a fool. The D runs and stops, looks around, checking, Up, oh, change direction, run over there. Stop, check, run, stop, run, stop, run, stop, run. all his life. To run like a fool, that's a disadvantage. To run with calculation where you're running and keep checking your situation, that's an advantage. So why do they use a dog? Why a dog? From all the animals, any animal in a zoo that you will pass by, lion, tiger, monkeys, Pigs, snakes, whatever you like, camels, giraffes, they have a glass, you go like this, you bang on the glass, the lion is in his own, in his own mode, doesn't even look at you, boom, the, the tiger, you bang on the wall, you go to the bronze zoom, try it, try to drive him crazy, he doesn't even look at you, like they say in Israel, no, 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 no. the tiger. <laughs> Any animal, you go like this, the horse, nobody cares. A dog, you don't even have to go like this to him. He stands by someone's house, you just walk on a sidewalk next to the fence, ah, 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 ah. jump on a fence, he's ready to kill you. What, what happened? I'm only walking. Ah, he runs back and forth. Ah, ah. And if you go like this, ah, 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 until tomorrow, he's still barking, waiting for you. This is how people became today. One little mistake is ready to tear you apart. No patience, no tolerance, no no respect, nothing. Pig, give him a kick to his face, he turns around and do nothing. (laughs) Walk next to the dog, don't have anything to do with him. He's ready to rip you apart. Even these little ones, wow, 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 so much noise. That's how people will become. This is 2,000 years ago. No one was like that 2,000 years ago. To had respect, it was a different world. Forget about 2,000 years ago. Before you were born, when I was younger than your age, the world was completely different than now. It wasn't like today. Even the secular people had some kind of a level in manners, in decency. People could have done diamond deals with handshake. Secular people. Mazalu Million dollar diamonds. Okay, I'll sell it, I'll pay you. They shake hands. Today, can you do something like that? Find me someone, I'll give million dollar diamonds to someone who knows from the neighborhood. Mazal When I sell it, I bring you the money. It was a different world. You understand that the world today is not what it used to be, even though you were not there yet. So, moving on, I started to explain... A person has to be always on a move. Always on a move. You sit and do nothing, it's count that this hour, it's actually you were dead. In your file there's a dead spot. This day, from this to this. So I started to explain, who say you have to learn only when you're in a mood? Who invented this cheetah? You have to learn Vagita Bam Yomam in the Torah I did not say when you are in a mood. You know, there's a lot of people who don't learn Torah. I don't know how they dive in arvit. How can they dive in How? Can you dive into Hashem while you're telling him lies in the middle of Shumayatfila? Imagine I stand in front of Hashem and Filachman I say, you arrive to Shumaatfilah, dear God you know i do not leave the gemara even one hour a day you know i do not think about anything besides gemara you know i love your torah more than i love my life you know that if i had money i would build the best yeshiva in the world for you you know i'm the most honest person in the world you know i'm the greatest most generous guy in the world you know I have the best midot." And Hashem says, Oh, this guy needs a psychiatrist ASAP. <laughs> Something in his head moved. <laughs> Even if it was true, by the way, no one would dare to say it in a davening in front of Hashem. The more you think you are a tzaddik, the more asha you are. Do you understand the idea? If somebody says, Ani Anav, I am humble. Yeah, Right. <laughs> Humble person say, I'm humble? Impossible. So the idea is that a person has to think, I have a long way to go, always, no matter how much you achieve. Like the Ramban say, you have to look at yourself, you're 50 50. So you just did, you just put fill in. So if a second ago I was 50 50, I just put fill in, I should be now 51 49, no? So after I put it fill in, what am I? 50 50. But I just, was 50-50 before I put the in. That should have turned the scale to a little bit more than 50. No. How do you know maybe before you were not 50-50? We only assume. So you're 50-50 now. So you learn all day, you're still 50-50. 90 years you learn, you became Chacham Ovadia, still 50-50. Why? How do you know in the beginning you're 50-50? There's no way to know. It's all based on an assumption. If you always think you're 50-50, you will progress. You have a goal. A person needs a meaning in life. One and shiva was not in a mood to learn, became depressed. How can it be that someone that sits and learns becomes depressed? Don't ask me. It's happened here and there. He's not in the mood to wake up for Shachrit and he's not in the mood to learn. They don't know what to do with him. They knew, They know he used to be a good boy. He has great potential. Throwing him out of yeshiva, it's pikuach nefesh, They didn't know what to do. So they send him to a psychologist to evaluate the cause. You know, in uh, psychology, you have to find the root of the problem. If you do not recognize the root of the problem, you can only, only treat the symptoms. You're giving him pills and you can, you know, he's coming down and and he's not hectic anymore, he doesn't have anxiety, but you never fix the root of the problem. He will have to be on pills for the rest of his life. If you locate the root of the problem, then you may not even need pills. You fix the root of the problem and that's it. But usually all doctors, they just give you treatment to treat the symptoms. Similar to if you go to a dentist and you have a root canal and your entire cheek blew up like a balloon, and he opened it up, and there's a lot of pus inside. It's a serious infection. So as soon as he opens it up, minutes later, the swelling goes down. But that did not fix the problem. He puts some alcohol on a cotton. He pushes it inside. He makes a temporary filling. He gives you antibiotic for three days to kill the infection. Come back in three days. He opens the temporary fillings, remove the cotton, and begin to walk on the roots. Until he gets to the roots, he pulls them out. That's a root canal. It may take two, three visits, and he puts a crown on top, but the, teeth, the tooth is dead. Once he took out the roots, it's a dead piece of rock. That's why they put crown on it, because it doesn't have a life. So if you eat a hard bagel, it, crush two, it becomes a powder one day. So they protect it with a crown. That's the idea of root canal. Now, when you go home and you take the antibiotic for three days and everything looks beautiful and you don't even have pain because he also gave you Advil. So it looks like you're healthy. As long as you take antibiotic and Advil, you won't have pain. No pain, no swelling. But you did not know what? (laughs) But you... (laughs) But you... You did not fix the problem. You only treated the symptoms. So every time you stop with the antibiotic, it will blow up again. That's the idea of most problems in the world. Most of the people take care of their symptoms. Once the pain goes away, they go back to their usual way. But they don't go deep to fix the problem. So the the psychologists try to fix them up the guy and is not walking he's still depressed so he took him to the stipler the father of Rav Chaim he went inside the stipler asked him can you wait outside so yes he sat with him five, ten, 5 to 10 minutes the boy came out like a brand new person from this moment he did not leave the Gemara around the clock it's, a new, it's like a new person it's like he replaced his Neshama or something the psychologist that works with that for many years could not understand how can it be. He went to the stipler and he said, how did you fix him up? The stipler told him, I gave him a reason to live. I told him, which masachet you learned until now? Kidushin. I want you to finish masachet Kiddushin and write a book about it with all your Kiddushim. And after that, you come with your book to me. We go over it, and I give you the most beautiful endorsement. scama. That I, myself, went over your book. If something needs to be fixed, we'll fix together. After that, you live in a world, a book with my endorsement. You gave him a goal. From this moment on, it was amazing. Sometimes a person wants to do the right thing, but he doesn't have incentive. I have a friend, his son, by age 20, finished shafts three times. Two times, Bavli, and one time, Yerushalmi, by age 20. I asked him, how did he do it? Was he born like that, loving Torah from a very young age? He said, no, he actually loved stupid games, like most kids. So how did you turn him like this? You say, I told him every Mishnah you learn, I give you money. Come, I test you on it, you get money. I don't know, a few dollars. So he came to me, I learned 10 Mishnah give him $10. The boy making money. Came again, I made another 10, here $10. Every Mishnah I gave him dollar, dollar, the boy makes money. Through so the process of making money, he fell in love with the learning. At one point, you didn't need to give him money. He himself said, you don't have to pay me. That's okay, it's my obligation. I learned and that's said, it became a tamid chacham. He gave him incentive. You gotta give children incentive. Today, teenagers are like children. Because this is the way the world became. Two generations ago, guys in your age already had children, probably by now two or three of them. You should know that. Your grandmothers in Syria, in Iran, in Bukhara, age 13, were married with child already. Yes, by age 25, she had already seven, eight kids. A girl age 25 today, if she's ready for marriage, it's a miracle. Especially in America. That's what the world became. Age six, people who cannot take care of their children would set them to work. Age six. That's it, I'm not obligated to feed you. Go feed yourself. Eight, six. But six was like 13 today. In a mentality. Shmuel, the prophet, when he was more in front of Eli, his rabbi, that the Eli told Hana is How old was Shmuel? Two years old. Two years old today, still a pacifier. He comes, crawls on a rug, barely walks, holding the table. If he says a sentence or two, his parents are so excited, they bring the camera.
1: <laughs>
0: Shmuel is already arguing in, in you know what halakha was more? If shekita kasher bizarre or not. Most talmidei Shiva don't know it by age 20. And he already knew it. He said to them, why are you wasting so much time looking for Kohen to be shochet? If you can't find Kohen easily, you can get any Jew to do it. Any Jew can be shochet. Don't delay the mitzvah. That was the argument between Eli and him. Meaning, Eli said, you, it's more mehudar to get a Kohen to also do the shechita." Shmuel said, I agree. But what happened if there's no Kohen around? Well, we're going to wait 10 hours now? Until he shows up, I have a friend, Baruch Hashem, that is a Kohen. Mazal. Why? If he would not be Kohen, probably would never daven in Shachrit in Minyan. He was the only Kohen in Shul. <laughs> and if he would not show up, everybody gets angry over there. What's wrong with you? We're waiting, we're counting on you. So when did he show up to Shachrit? When the Chazan reaches <laughs> Rezeh, <laughs> he shows up at the door <laughs> with his talik mizan. Mahvash, <laughs> <laughs> Kohanim, okay. he usually is the only Kohen. M'amash <laughs> <laughs> like this. From his fear from the audience. One time I told you, look, you're afraid of the people of Aminyan, but you're not afraid of Hashem. I had a guy. He said to me, I can't, I can't come to Shaq. I can't. I can't. I, I I stay until late. This is the sickness of the generation today with all these devices. Even the filter one. it still you still occupy with texting, this, that, two, three, you're still up. Then comes comes if you wake up you wake up, you sixty percent asleep. You know these guys that put the talit over their head in Shachrit, hoping nobody would come by? And they're in a different world. They think that nobody sees, but Hashem sees. So they say, what do you want? I'm tired. Hey, wake up. Oh, yeah. You know these people that they put the talit on, and they keep moving like this? You know, maybe they'll fool their father. Why? They're tired. <laughs> they're very tired. Why they're tired? because they're wasting their life at 1, 2 a.m. Life needs discipline. Secular people, some of them at 7 a.m., they're already at work. They're working very hard. 7 a.m., they're already at work. They run to work. We won't run to school on time. So I had one guy say to me, I can't, I can't come at 7 a.m. I can't. I promise you, if I could, I would love to come. So one time I told him, listen, I got you a sponsor. I know a very wealthy man. I told him you struggle to wake up in Shachrit. You don't have in minyan. So he agreed to give you $1,000 every morning you show up before 7 a.m. to Shul. So the guy looked at me. Come on, Rabbi, enough of your stories. Who's going to give me $1,000? What, 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 do you owe me something? I said to him, don't worry, I took care of it. Tomorrow you'll be there one minute before seven, I'll wait for you by the door with a thousand dollars cash and like this every morning. Rabbi, don't play games with me. It's serious. I make four hundred dollars a week. You know what it means, a thousand dollars every morning? Don't 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 play games. You serious? It's absolutely. Guaranteed. If one day I don't give it to you, don't show up ever again. Fair deal. Of course. Here. Shake on it. As he gave me his hand, get out of here, you crook. <laughs> what? You were joking? You almost started to cry. I said, "Will you really think that somebody going to agree to give you a thousand dollars just to show your face in shul? Who exactly do you think you are? So why are you playing games? I told you don't fool me. I wanted to show you what a hypocrite you are. A minute ago, what did you tell me? You kill me, I can't, I can't, I can't. As soon as I told you you will get a thousand dollars, in a second you became a lion. What happened to I can't? If you would tell me with a thousand dollars, I told you I can't. Oh, then I have nothing to answer. Every I can't is I don't want. Remember this. When you, say, you know in America they say, I need it, uh, Abba, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it in America means I want it. You don't need it, you want it. That's what it is. Abotai, I would like to tell you one thing. You may think that it's good, I love Torah, I love to stay in yeshiva, but one day I have to get married, I have to make money, I don't want to be a poor man. I want to be wealthy. I want to be like my parents. I want to be like my friends. I want to be able to live the life. Don't worry, I will learn still. I will be I'm not going to become secular. I'm a religious man. I have But if you don't work, who is going to support you? I'm sure some of the boys here, that's what they think. That's a huge mistake. Now, one word of what I say now, it's true. Now, one word. I'll explain it to you in a mashal. There was one poor man who did not eat for two days. Nothing to eat. Looks in the garbage, nothing to eat. He said, okay, I have no choice. I have to knock on people's door, maybe they open the door, give me something to eat. So a big mezuzah, nice mansion. Knock on the door, and a person opened the door, say, can I help you? Say, I'm so hungry. Maybe you give me something to eat. So he said to him, I will give you a meal that in your life you never ate. It will, it will stuff you. You're going to be full for days. But I'm a businessman. I don't give anything for free. So therefore you will have to do something for me first. Then I will reward you with a great meal. What do I have to do? Come to my garage See all the shelves? Take everything down, clean everything, dust everything, spray everything, and put everything nice. I want to look at my garage. looks like a pharmacy. The poor man is thinking that's a 4 hours job for one meal. But if I don't do it, I may be dead in four hours. That's it. So let me do it. At least I get a food for sure. Walk cleaned everything. He called him after four hours. The, the rich man said, wow, you did a great job. Now it's my turn. Come, let's give you your meal. He shows him a house across the street. He said, go over there. The, the food is ready on the table. Open the door, sit and eat as much as you want. You can also put some in your pocket when you leave. Take home. Now the poor man is thinking, what if I'm walking now and he's going to lock the door? Uh, It was all a scam. Maybe there's nobody there. Why he doesn't give me the food in his house? Why do I have to go across the street? But he's not in a position now to argue. He goes across the street, opens the door, what does he see? No. Unbelievable. meal. Almost as good as this Chulent and uh, Kishke. Everything you can imagine, different kinds of fish, meat, chicken, desserts, everything. Wow, it was so worth it. He eats and eats and fries. puts in his pocket, put under his keeper. stuffed his ears, <laughs> stuffed his mouth in his underarms, in his pocket, everywhere. Why? It's another meal. As he's about to leave, there was someone watching him from upstairs. And he said, I never saw in my life such an ungrateful human being like you. He looked up. He said, Excuse me? He said, You ate so much more than anyone ever ate here, and you're about to leave without saying thank you? First of all, I didn't see you. Second of all, who are you? And why do I have to say thank you to you? I don't understand. What do I have to do with you? He said, I just gave you all this food and you're about to leave without saying thank you? You gave me this food? I work like a slave for this food. I went across the street and cleaned the whole garage. The guy said, oh, now I understand. He fooled you also, that guy across the street. We have nothing to do with him, he's just a crook. This house is Betamchoy. Everybody can eat for free as much as they want. Every time someone knocks on his door for tzedakah or food, he takes advantage of them to do something in his house and send them to us, and we have to feed them. That's the mashal. What's the nimshal? The Nimshal is like this. The poor man, it's us. The one on the top is a Karushbaru. The rich man across the street that fooled him is the Satan, the Hara. And the Betamhui, the house where he got all his food, is the world. Now let's rewrite the story. A person comes to the world. The sultan tells him all the time, you want to get something, you want to make money, you want to make food, you want to make any income, you have to go and work very hard before. If you won't work, what will you gain? So then he goes to the Bet Tamchuy and he eats from the money he makes while he was working. But reality, this this food that he went to work and he had to work for it, was waiting for him for free. But he chose to get what was ready for him for free by working for the Satan. All he had to do is to eliminate the Satan and come directly to the Bet Hamchuy. How much money you will have, how much you will make, it's one hundred percent Hashem's decision. How much you would gain, how much you would make, Hashem 100% is going to decide. And how He's going to decide? How you behave. Nobody in history ever lost from doing the will of Hashem. If you sacrifice to stay and to become a Ben Torah, to get a kosher girl, to establish a beautiful kosher home, to have kosher children, to have a Torah atmosphere in a house, not to live in a fake life of America when almost everything around is fake. You are in a place, you are in a heart of Eretz Israel, in Yerushalayim, in a place that Hashem loves the most, with the Torah that He loves the most, and you have everything in your hand already. Just don't blow it up. Don't ruin it. Get serious. We will finish with the story of Chacham Ovadia When he lived in Rechavia, these old houses from a hundred years ago, beautiful houses with very high ceiling, over here, if you want to reach the Gemara, you stand and you get it. Over there, it was very high, you need a ladder, can't reach. His son-in-law came at 6 p.m. to ask him an uh, uh, urgent question in Halacha. He walks in. Rav was standing on a ladder with a Gemara or some book in his hand. He asked him, Kvod Rav, I have an an urgent Alacha question. Rav said to him, am ten laayin. Wait until I finish to learn. I'm learning something here. He was standing there for half an hour, the son-in-law, from 6 to 6.30. When he realized he forgot about me, in in his learning, He, he tried again. Kvod I have an urgent question. I'm 10, wait. It was very deep into the Sugiya. The, the, the son-in-law gave up. He said to the Rebbe Tsen, I'll call later on. He left. At 11 p.m., 11 p.m., after the Rebbe Tsen went to sleep, she heard, boom, boom, big noise, boom, like a bomb. She woke up, she sees he's not there. Right away she came out of the room. She sees him laying on the floor with a broken arm. What happened? He forgot that he's standing on a ladder and he started to walk. By the time he made the first step, he realized what happened, but it was too late. This story actually happened as witnesses to the story, but what is the most impressive Line in this story. Let's see who is clever here. told you every detail of the story. What's the most impressive line in a story? What do you think? He
1: did on
0: the ladder. Huh?
1: did on a ladder.
0: That he forgot he's standing on a ladder? For one year I thought like you. <laughs> that a person forgets that he's standing on a ladder that means his mind is occupied fully by Torah then I re- re-read the story and all of a sudden I saw something I didn't see before yeah?
1: and he said wait I'll, I'll be here in a few minutes and then he's totally like, he engrossed in learning and I just totally didn't, didn't remember but that's basically what he said Six. Very
0: good. Very good. That he was not just standing on a ladder. He was standing on a ladder from 6 until 11 p.m. You know how painful it is for the legs to stand like this on a ladder for six hours in the back? He did not care. He's in a Sugia six hours standing on a ladder at 11 p.m. he fell. We'll fear it will fall 10 minutes after. Okay, no, 10 minutes. He was standing on a ladder. That could happen to us also. Maybe he wasn't thinking. He thought about something. He forgot he's on a ladder. But he was standing on the ladder from six. Imagine the son in law would wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's what it means, Avatora. Torah does not come naturally. When you eat a cream cake, it comes naturally. When you eat barbecue, it comes naturally. When you play basketball, it comes naturally. All this pleasure comes naturally. Why? Because they all come with the assistance of the Yetzerara. It makes it sweet for you. When Torah comes, the Yetzer HaRa not bringing you the Torah. It's trying to pull it away from your hands. So now you have to have a resistance. So the Torah takes a a period of time until it becomes very sweet. But once you get to that level, that's it. It's for the rest of your life. You're on a roll. And if you ever think, I'm going to lose one dollar from choosing to be a Ben Torah and learn all my life, then you are a Kofir, an infidel. It's a fact if you Mashlim Minyan. If someone thinks, that I will go against Hashem's will and as a result of that He's going to reward me and if I will dedicate my life for the Torah He will stick a knife in my back is actually worse than a kofir do you understand what it means? kofir that means uh, the thirteen principle you deny them one of the thirteen principles is Hashem rewards the righteous and punish the wicked not the other way around so, if you chose to be righteous and devote your life for the Torah, now you are saying that Hashem is going to punish you as a result of it? You messed up the whole Judaism. Yes? No. No. That's not what I say. Balebatim do not have enough level of emuna and confidence in Hashem to devote their life for the Torah, and they worry that they won't have enough parnasa. If they would work very strongly on a emunah, like I know. Hundreds of them over the years that gave up work and went fully into learning. Now one of them died to the best of my knowledge. They're all still around. So what happened? For years they worked and they survived. And now they don't work and they survive. But now they have hundred times more Torah. Understand the idea? Remember the mashal I just gave? There were two ways to get to the Bet Tam-Khuy. One, visiting the Yetzirah first and one going there directly. Why visiting the Bet bypassing by passing from the house of the Satan, let him fool you into work that you will get in the end what you anyway will get? It's all a matter of confidence in Hashem, yes. So
1: we know that there's a concept of Yes, you, you have to actually try to, to do it, right? You, you have,
0: should, have to do Ishtadlut, but how do you know how much Ishtadlut you have to do?
1: The thing I'm learning all day is that really your for
0: you have to do some physical ishtadlut. learning is learning ishtadlut is making a phone call maybe meet someone try maybe to buy and sell something you do a little ishtadlut and the rest is in Hashem's end but how do you know how much ishtadlut Hashem expects from you to do some people do 4 hours a day ishtadlut, some people do 6 hours a day some people do 2 hours a week ishtadlut some people do half an hour a month. How do you know in what category to put yourself? How do I know? Does Hashem expect me to walk an hour a day and then learn the rest? Does He expect me to, learn to walk six hours a day and then learn? Does He expect me to learn all day and just come for two hours at night and learn? How do I know? The answer is... It depends how much you're afraid of the future. If you're afraid, you live with fear that one day you need to get married and you won't have money to buy a ring and you won't have money to rent a house and you won't have money to buy a wedding suit and everything else you need for the wedding. And because I'm learning now, I'm hurting myself that when I will need that money I won't have it, right? That means you don't have enough emunah and you must do a lot of ishtadlut. And if you won't do, you won't have any money. You must work very hard and do yishtadlut to get your money. If you don't do it, Hashem won't give it to you. But if you really not worry, you will not going to sleep, you don't have anxiety attack you're not nervous all day, you're not thinking, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, wow, in one or two years I'm going to have to make a decision, i have to find a job, who's going to support me, wow, 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 wow. If you don't have all this fear, and you relax, and you focus on the learning, and you don't kill yourself over, and when you hear sometimes people offering jobs, you don't have this ava amina, maybe I take two days off from the learning, I go work, I save some money, and then I go back to yeshiva, you don't have this. Because you know, why, why does Hashem wants to give me money through, through leaving the Torah? Where is the logic here? He cannot be. So I'm not taking the job. It's all a test. Understand? You should know each one of you learns, right? Reuven and Shimon, they just learn Hevruta. The same sugiya, the same time. Do they get the same reward? No. What do you think? No, they don't. One can get ten times more than the other. What determines how much reward you're going to make?
1: The difficulty it was for him. few
0: <laughs> things. First, how smart you are. How easy it's going for you. For one, it's much harder than the other. So who's going to get a bigger reward? Someone that it's easy for him or someone that's it's very difficult for him? <laughs> difficult. All right, so the Fum tsara Agra. Second, where you grew up. You grew up in a very religious place. You learned to all your life from a very young age. So you are... It's your nature. You're born into it. But your friend is Baal Tshuva from 15 years old. Until 15, he was very modern. He went to some rotten schools in New York and New Jersey. And all of a sudden, he woke up to life and came to Migdash and became a mensch. But he has a gap. A few years that he wasn't so serious, right? So he brought himself to the level of his which is from from birth and was learning all his life. His reward is much greater because where he came from and where the other one came from is not the same. He has to re-educate himself to be like someone that's doing it as a robot because it's a way of life for him. But there is one more thing. One more thing. What is it? How much you're willing to receive to close the Gemara? That's the main thing. So for instance, if I walk into Mikdash, now middle of the day, guys, I'm stuck. The workers did not show up today and I have furniture to move from the truck into my house. I'm willing to pay you 50 shekel an hour if you come now for four hours to help me. So you would tell me, yeah, but we're in the middle of learning. Why? Nobody wants to leave the learning for 50 shekel. What's 50 shekel? $13? $14? Not for me. Then I see I'm stuck. I say, okay, okay. I'll give you 100 shekel. One of you got up. 100 shekel? Really, Rabbi? Cash? Yeah. Okay, I'm coming. His reward will be 100 shekel for every hour of Torah learned. All the other ones did not get up. Then I say, okay, I see that I still don't have enough. I'm willing to give you 150 shekel an hour. Two more guys got up. Their reward will be based on, a, on, on 150. Then I say, okay, I'm going to raise it to 300. I'm desperate, I need workers. 15 guys got up. Their reward, 300 shekels an hour. Then I went to $1,000 an hour. I still need workers, urgent. Nobody gets up. The rest of the students, for any amount of money, they do not get up. Their reward for every hour of Torah it's endless. Everybody else has a rating 10, 15, 30. Who says it? I've been Abba in his book, Musab. Read over there, Namala Torah. You actually write with your own hands how much you will be paid for every hour of Torah. Same thing when they tell you there is basketball. You're learning with Hevruta and they say, yo, yo, bro. <laughs> you coming? No, no, I'm learning. No, come on, we need another guy. We have nine guys, we need the tenth one to do full court, five on five. In less than a second, he closed the Gemara. If it would take him ten seconds, he will get an extra reward. If it will take him two minutes, that they all convince him, come on, you're ruining the game for us. What well, do you become such a tzaddik all of a sudden? The Yetzir has a lot of messengers. But if he will never rise from his chair, and say, forget it. When I learn the world does not exist. You want to play basketball? Wait until I finish. And he never close it for the basketball, then his reward will be huge. because knows how much he likes to play. How much he likes to play? You know the boys that they tell you, I cannot wake up today, I'm tired. I'll go to the 9.30 Minion by shiner I go to Shiner, I go to Vishnitz. I go to the Shtibog. But what happens if you come to your son and tell him, there is an amazing game now, the championship from America, from overseas, but it's 7 a.m., the game, 7 a.m., how he wakes up, like a tiger. Did it start yet? That's the end of him. For Shachri, call me back at 9.30, for this stupid game, five, five people runs after the piece of leather. <laughs> for that, he's a tiger. That's how we mess up our life. Hashem always check. This is more important than me. This is more important than me. A lot of the mitzvot in the Torah are designed to to test you. Like shiluach haken. Get rid of the mother and take the eggs. The mother comes back. You broke her heart and broke your heart with it. When Chacham did this Mitzvah was actually crying and apologizing to the bird. What can I do and Hashem commended me to do such things. So, what's the purpose of this mitzvah? The Torah is very sensitive to animals. You have to feed them before you feed yourself. You can never be cruel to them. Why all of a sudden the Torah changed completely the attitude? Get rid of the mother and take the birds and put them somewhere. What kind of a mitzvah is that? This is pure cruelty. So what is the Torah playing with our minds? One minute, you have to be extra careful, check the knife when you slide There's no bump in the knife because the animal may suffer a little bit. How long the animal will suffer? Tenth of a second. Shh. So there's a bump. Boom, the bump will hit the neck. And it will be pain. But how long? Not even a second. And the Torah is so sensitive. Check the knife. I am punishing you. Why you made the animal suffer for tenth of a second, but all of a sudden you see the bird get rid of the mother, take these babies, put them somewhere to die? What happened over here? No? Did you ever think about it? Who knows the answer? Hawk. Hawk has has reasons. We don't understand the reasons. But there are reasons. What are the reasons? I'll tell you what the reason. When you do such a mitzvah, it breaks your heart, right? If you're a normal, decent human being, it breaks your heart. Let's put it that way. If Hashem say to you, you can do the mitzvah or you can skip it, I won't be upset. 99% of us would skip it. Thank you, you me a Shalom. But when you do it, it breaks your heart. One day a person leaves the world, he stands in front of Hashem, and Hashem shows him his entire life. And then they come to the minute that he did mitzvah shilu ha and he had tears. He actually broke his heart. And Hashem will ask, why over here you were so emotional? Why your heart was broken over here? What would be the answer? It breaks my heart to separate between children and the the parents. It's terrible. The mother and the babies, I actually destroyed them by separating them. So it breaks my heart to see that the mother lost their children. Right? That would be the answer. And what would Hashem answer you? For more than 2,000 years, all my children almost left me. They're all secular, they marry Goyim, they Shabbos. They make abomination parades in Jerusalem. They steal, they curse, they sleep like bombs. I have no respect for the Torah. They fight the Torah, they became lefties. They give their life to destroy my religion. I never saw once in your life that it broke your heart that my children are gone. But for the bird, it kills you. I'm worse than a bird? What are you going to do? So basically, this purpose of this mitzvah is why didn't you do kiruv? Why didn't you give your life to bring your cousin, your friend? Hey, come, come to yeshiva. No, no, leave me alone, I'm going to secular school I'm going to university No, no, try at least one, one year Try one year You may have saved his life for eternity One final story and we'll finish right here One person wanted to, do, to make a scene He was about to make a horrible scene And he went to do the scene And a goy passed by And a guy said to him, how are you doing? And he could not perform the scene. Why? The guy already saw me. How can I do the scene? He will hear later on. He will know it's me. So he did not do the scene. Next day he came to do the same scene. A little baby was there. Two or three years old. Looking at him. Go to mommy. Go to mommy. No, no. He stares at him like this. He cannot make the scene in front of the baby. The next day he came to make the scene. There was a dog there. Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Billy staring at him. He tried to push Billy. Billy, go. Billy gets angry. Wow, wow. So, his partner to the crime, she said to him, what do you care about the dog? He doesn't understand anything from his life. He say to him, I cannot make a scene when two eyes are staring at me dog, not a dog, I'm sorry let's give up and he went home one day he dies and Hashem reviews his entire life and they arrive to that date, he shows him how he was about to make a scene and a guy saw him and he went away again, a kid he went away, again a dog, and he went away And then Hashem will tell him, tell me, am I worse than a dog in your eyes? Chas V'Shalom, Hashem. How are you asking me such a question? Don't you know how much I love you and respect you? Am I worse than a dog in your eyes? No, No, of course not. From a dog you were embarrassed that is looking at you but for me, you're not embarrassed for seven years, you do whatever you want. Lashonara, laziness, gaiva, Torah, uh, internet non-kosher, phones, and all this, the rest of the things that some people do. So when I look at you, it does not bother you. When the dog look at you, you couldn't perform the scene. Am I worse than a dog? And I worse than a dog? What are we going to answer? That's what the meaning of the pasuk is. veozen shumat vechol maasecha basefer Niktavim. Now I had a great story, but I know I told you that will be the last story, so I gotta keep my promise. So we'll keep it for the next visit. <laughs> Any
1: questions? Yes. Uh,
0: there's a question about um, about
1: um, about um, we know that the ta- they ta- the ta- the had jobs themselves, like if you show
0: blacksmith, you know they job. did very little. They, they were shoemaker, he fixed one pair of shoes, and go learn 20 hours. Next day, did a little bit, go. They're not, they're not like today, open the store at 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. I say to people, you want to have good parnasa. When you open the store, make sure you learn, or at least retail daily. That's gonna bring you a lot of customers. The Satan is willing to give you wealth as long as he makes you close the Gemara. You wanna get a proof for it? I used to make lectures in a restaurant on Queens Boulevard, Habayit restaurant. When I met the Yemenite Israeli that owned that restaurant, he was there with three customers every day and nobody goes in besides flies him one temani another one and two brothers, twins it's like a little club the shuarma is dry you can break someone's head with that because <laughs> he never cuts from it and the hummus already has a different color and I went inside nothing over there I started to talk to him about religion and the twins starting to you know make them ballet tshuva then I say to him, you know what, I have an idea. Maybe I will make a lecture here at night. Anyway, the restaurant is empty. At least we use it for lectures. <laughs>
1: it's a
0: good idea. I made one lecture. Out of nowhere, customers walk in. Sitting in the table. It never happened before. <laughs> Next lecture I am come to make... Half of the restaurant is full. By the third lecture, the Yemenite came to me. Khan. I
1: need a table.
0: Why? The Satan said, let's flood him with business, as long as there's no shiur Torah. What do you think? Every hour of shiur Torah, you make 60,000 mitzvot. Do you think the satan will make it easy for you? You want to get 60,000 mitzvot plus you want it to be easy? It has to be a sacrifice. More questions? Yes?
1: Uh, you said that uh everyone's supposed to learn and they are they're, they're, you said that when a person, a person learns yeah, a person should learn and he sh- shouldn't think that when he pushes up uh, sorry when a person learns he shouldn't push off learning from making money because if he does he's a kofir, right?
0: So, if he thinks that by doing something against Hashem he's going to get a reward for it or when he sacrifices and listens to Hashem he's going to lose from it, that makes him a kofir right. not everyone who works is a kofir right, so people that sense. don't have emunah, they're not kofrin they just don't have enough emunah but someone that thinks because I am learning I'm losing that's Kfira. And so
1: my question is, is that I was told that in this world there are some baravatim and there's some people who are going to learn Like for example, Safran's balloon, right? Yeah. So the people who are meant to be baravatim, they see that there is something considered baravatim like Safran's balloon. and one learns one because one the one was a person
0: who's one. Why you choose to be the one who walks? Don't worry, there's plenty of people that would walk. Why you volunteer to walk?
1: you see, there's a concept.
0: You know, why Hashem punished the Egyptians? They did nothing wrong. The Egyptians fulfilled their vision and the prophecy that Hashem told Abraham Avinu. It could have not been otherwise. Hashem told Avraham Avinu that his children would be slaves in the country of Goim. So why Hashem punished the Egyptians? They only did what Hashem wanted them to do. The answer is, there was a decree that Egypt would torture Israel. But he did not say which Egyptians will do it. So why did you want to do it? Let your friend do it. When I was when I used to teach Gemara in Yeshiva, every time quarter to one, I had one student who always volunteered to go get the food for lunch. Families cook for the yeshiva in Monsi. He was always the first one to rise. The will finish at once, so you need quarter to one, someone to take the yeshiva car and go get the food. One time I called him, I said to him, tell me, why you are always the one who close the gemara for 15 minutes and run, get the food? So he said, somebody has to do it, no? I said, no. You know why you're doing it? Because you don't want to learn. So that's an opportunity for you to get a break from learning. So you're thinking, oh, if I'm doing mitzvah, at least I can close the Gemara without feeling guilty. He said, no, no, it's not true. I just like to do chesed. I say to him, but why it has to be you? Nobody said it has to be you. Let somebody else go get the food. This is something that you lose more than you gain. You, you get one mitzvah and you lose 15,000 mitzvot. Because if the Hafez Chaim say one hour of learning Torah write 60,000 mitzvot, 15 minutes of Torah is how much? 15,000. It's a bit
1: different. Here. Why? Because he's getting food. He's trying a few the boys the boys get everything to right. the a seder.
0: Right. Yeah, first of all, i tell you something. <laughs> if the boys won't eat lunch, they'll still learn second seder. Actually better sometimes. Because the more you eat, the more tired you become. Yeah. Some, play, some people skip. They, learn, they eat only pachachrit and they eat very little at night, and that's it. They skip lunch completely. Why? Because it makes them... F- In Yeshiva, they don't want to bring meat at lunch. Why? When you eat meat, what happens? You know, I tell you, by, by my house, we used to have a couch next to the Shabbos table. My wife and I always had that joke, how quick the guest will move to the couch and will all be snoring with their mouth open. (laughs) So after the children finish on Shabbos, one guy falls on the couch. Then the second guy feels more comfortable because he already left the table. So he's also next to him. Four guys, always, every Shabbos on the table. Sometimes you have a symphony. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's snow it's no what the answer with two. Why? As soon as you eat a lot of meat, you fall asleep. In general, the less you eat, the better it is. But you're right; you have a point. So that's why they make a list every day. Someone has to; it has to be a shift. You cannot run away from your obligation. But why volunteering to do chesed? by closing the Gemara at the same time. Do chesed between 1 and 3 when you have lunch break. The idea is, do you really want to do chesed, or you want to get rid of the learning? That's what you have to ask yourself. Every time you do something, if you will analyze it carefully, you will be shocked what are the real motives of your action. Even when you learn with your Chivruta, sometimes you argue for half an hour on one line in a Gemara, 99% of the time is strictly ego not searching for the truth of Hashem just ego it cannot be, it's gonna win you bring all kinds of books at at night you don't sleep all night, for hours why? maybe I'll find one Rishon that say like me (laughs) all ego learning 10 years Torah and stay the same Proud person. It's all about me.
1: Oh, living in America, you're born with a lot of uh, temptations to fulfill Kashmir desires, right? So how do you divert that all the way to Ruk new?
0: Usually, the more Torah you learn, the less materialism you need. If you really focus on Torah, you don't care. I have a cousin, is Baruch Hashem, very wealthy. He lives here in Israel. His son became Baal Tshuva, like they say in America, fanatic. (laughs) He went to yeshiva, grew a long beard, learning. He has in his yeshiva uh, bunk beds from the time of Achashverosh. (laughs) The, The conditions over there are so bad. He has a beautiful house 10 blocks away and he stayed asleep in this lousy air condition, not to go into his fancy room. Why? He has no more desire for anything fancy, nice, comfortable, doesn't care about this. So his father asked him, you rather sleep over here when you have such a nice room, 10 blocks away? Yes, I don't care about these things anymore. Why? He's so deep into the Torah, he doesn't care. The Chazvanish say, I never felt hungry. Why? Because his mind was so occupied with Torah, he never felt the body problems. Like the Gemara said that one of the Amoraim was dripping blood while he was learning, he didn't even feel blood is dripping, and one of the Romans said, what? Amapazizatem. What kind of a nation you are? I don't care about your condition? Why? Because his mind is in Torah. He doesn't care about this. Not only that, the, the bigger you become in Torah, the more you're going to laugh about people that run after these things. I was in Shabbat, in Shabbaton in Erzelia Pituach. That's where all the rich and famous live. We had a Friday night dinner and there are two guys sitting next to me in a table. One of them shows me a watch that looks like a Mickey Mouse in all kinds of colors. It looks like a cartoon. And has a rubber band he asked me, Rabbi, how much you think this watch worth? I said, my guess, $50 maximum. But if you're asking, it's probably, you're going to tell me $50,000. So they both
1: laughed.
0: I wasn't sure if they laughed at my first answer or my second answer. <laughs> Are they laughing that I say fifty dollars, or they are laughing that I say fifty thousand dollars? Either way, I'm a fool, because if I say fifty and it's worth more, look at this guy. And if it's worth fifty and I say fifty thousand, also a fool. So they all, they both laugh. So I say, why are you laughing? He said, two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. He's not even thirty years old. He bought that watch for that price. I say to him, that's the budget in my kollel for two years. All the Avrechim. You would get a trillion mitzvot for this lousy Mickey Mouse watch.
1: <laughs>
0: then the other guy felt jealous. So Rabbi, and how much you think this is worth? I see a nice gold watch. At least this one has a nice look. The other one looks like I w- in Chinatown in a boot of the Chinese. I would not spend $20 to buy it. So said, Rabbi, you don't know who is Richard Mille. Richard Mill. Koshavti is going to say the Rambam or something. <laughs> Richard Mill. Tov, the other guy said, this watch is 130,000. Why? Patek Philippe. Once you become a Ben when you see something like this, you have to hold your laugh. Once you're an ignorant fool, you don't sleep a week at night from jealousy. Do you know what's the difference between a great person and a big loser? One major difference. What is it? In behaving. A great tzaddik and a horrible loser. What's the main difference between them? The great Sadiq is busy all his life hiding his advantages. The big loser is busy all his life hiding his disadvantages, his problems. That's the difference. A tzaddik, he try to make himself nothing. Someone that is Istara, Belagina, Kishkishkaria, makes a lot of noise, he hides his defects and highlights every little thing that he does well. Why? To cover for his defects. That's uh, humility. Any more questions? Rega, someone who did not speak. Yeah.
1: You said before that dogs are the worst animals, right? So how come we left? I them? didn't
0: say the Torah said. When
1: we left Misraim. how come the dogs were the ones that saved us?
0: So we left? I just said you forgot one line of what I said. Skipped it. I said that the dogs are great. They help us a lot. They watch our homes. They watch the sheep. They they did not bark when we came out of Egypt physically they are great they help a lot I was talking spiritually spiritually of course if you have the choice to put a pig in your house or a dog, dog will benefit you a lot more than a pig but when we talk about spiritual effect to have a dog in a house is not good for spiritual reason not that the dog is uh, and if it's a dangerous dog then it's also for, for physical reasons can Chaz Shalom attack someone? More questions?
1: How do you know what to focus on? Like, Let's say like you come to Yeshiva and you learn, right? And you have a lot of distractions. How do you like, focus yourself? On it's,
0: a you it's a decision. It's a decision. You make a decision and you stick for, to it no matter what. That's it. From this moment on, there's no more one leg here, one leg there. That's it. I'm focusing. I'm coming on time, I daven on time, I eat quickly, I sit right away, I go over the Gemara, I do not care about what my phone say, and texting him, and calling the nothing. clear my mind. I do not get involved with anything. I put one, two, three good years of my life, I become somebody. I want to tell you something. From knowing many, many rabbis in the world, the ones that can become the wealthiest are the Talmid chachamim if they only want. Some of them don't even care about money. But if you be a big Talmid chacham you can use it as a tool to make millions. There's many, many ways in a Torah world, if you are a Talmid, first of all, you can become a Dayan, you make him a salary of a judge here in Israel. You become a Dayan, you make a fortune, and you have a lot of benefits. You can become two uh, there, someone that teach kids and make fifty, sixty dollars an hour. you can have a few of them, you can make a lot of money. You can become Toen Rabani in Bedin, making fortune. You can write books, sell books, you can make a lot of money. You print your books in China for two, three dollars and you sell them for 25 dollars and you can sell tens of thousands of books. Ravovadia became a multi-millionaire from selling his books. He sold millions of books overall. And in each book, he got a few dollars to his pocket. And he was very poor in the beginning of his life, but later on, he became very, very wealthy. Then, once you become a big Tamid Chacham, the wealthy Americans would stand online to flood you with checks. You understand? Because. You're going to build a shul, and you're going to give you millions of dollars, you're going to have a lot of things, you're going to make a nice salary. So the Torah is much more productive than university. I promise you this. And if you work with the public, there's a lot of generous people. You don't even need to charge for it. I never charge for my lectures. There's no such thing. You have to pay me, I come to speak. I promise you one thing, that over the years in lectures, people gave me money not less than people that charge 2,000 shekel for their lectures. Every average speaker in Israel charged close to 2,000 shekel for one hour lecture. It's a routine. If you're not such a star, maybe 1,500. That's just about it. But if you go to lecture, one place they give you nothing, next place they give you nothing, all of a sudden one rich guy gives you an envelope, cover you for four lectures. In the end, you're going to make more than a dentist, more than a lawyer, more than anything you can think of almost. So it's giving you an incentive also in a gashm'ut to be a real serious learner. Nobody ever lost from becoming a Talmid Chachan. Chaz Shalom, if a person has a decree that he must be poor because it's good for his tikkun, then it doesn't matter. You go to university 50 years, you still be poor. Even if you go to real estate, you'll be poor. Even if you sell diamonds, you'll be poor. Why? Because Hashem decided. That's it. That's Hashem's will. But overall, if you think that becoming vnei Torah and Talmidei Chachamim, you're going to make less money, I promise you it's the other way around. In Israel, they have a list of the top rabbis. One, 80 million shekel is laying in his checking account. One, 1.3 billion shekel in his bank account. 1.3 billion. I don't think there's one businessman in Israel that have 1.3 billion shekel laying in his bank account. You know, the lefty, the lefty liberal newspaper reporters, they try to make us look bad. So they sneak what they can say bad about the rabbis. So they found a list of all the rabbis. I don't know how they got their bank account record. They show how much money they had in a bank account. So they put 10 or 12 famous ones. The, the poorest guy had 80 million shekel in his bank account. Why? why? Why should Hashem make you poor because you gave your life to become a Talmud Chacham? I don't, I don't get it. If He wants you poor because it's good for your neshama, you have to be happy about it. Because if you be rich, you go away from Hashem. Sometimes wealth made you less tzaddik. But overall, there are many advantages in life becoming a Tamit Chacham. Plus, 80% of the places you go to buy, nobody wants to charge you. You have to beg people to take money. You go with your family to a restaurant, Rabbi, it's on the house. You go to buy a suit for you, for your two sons, Rabbi, you're insulting me. No, I don't take money. No, no, let me pay. No, no, I don't want. You want to go buy a car. The dealer said, don't worry, I'll pay the motor vehicle, I'll do this for you, I'll send my guy to pick up the plates. If you are an engineer, they'll do it for you. If you're a criminal lawyer, they'll do it for you. No. But if you're a Talmid Chacham, believe me, you'll be half a king. In the next world, you'll be a real king. Here, you'll be a prince. And that's everything I tell you from experience. I see it everywhere we go. And if you're Syrian, even better. Why? <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. from, all, from all the Jews around the world, the Syrians have the highest respect to Tanmide Chachamim. And that's maybe the secret to their wealth. Because when they see a Chacham, even if they're not religious, the parents, Chacham, Tfadal, Chacham, Chacham, Wow, this Chacham. Even the not religious, needless to say, they're religious. You understand? So therefore, if you be a hacham in the Syrian community, mm-hmm. you don't need to be a lawyer. Let's put it that way. You'll be fine. Yes? Uh, the rabbi, a story about
1: a uh, kid that went uh, to the rabbi and he got an incentive to learn um, by... You know, Stigler, yeah. right. uh, if, if money doesn't drive you, um, how
0: Everybody has something that touches him. One person wants fame, one person wants to be famous, one person wants power, one person like money. One person just wants to be smart. They enjoy being smart and understand everything. Every person find what motivates him and focus on that. The money doesn't do it to you, you'll find other things that'll do it. That's La.
1: Why did Hashem put the
0: concept of Isaac in the Is that as a test? No. If a person has a peace of mind when he learns someone pay all his bills, he learns much better. doesn't have to be distracted. That's the, nat- that's the it's a natural way. If you don't have to worry about anything, you don't have to go shopping, walking, calling, you know, making all kinds of efforts. Someone pays all your bills, pay everything. Then you can focus and learn in a much higher level. If you learn in a higher level, the other person deserves a reward. So that he doesn't take away from your reward. Both of you will get a full reward. So that's actually benefiting the business people because they don't learn so much. At least now they have a share in the Torah. It's work both ways. Yes? Um, you
1: know, I realized that, that when they're young, they were like working hard or they were poor, or, and whatever meaning, meaning chokhma or money wise. And then you see when they get older, they like they live normally. Like, how come it's like that? It's I
0: interesting. Know, I don't know exactly what you mean, they live normally.
1: No, meaning like you see, like when they were younger. They were like Hanim, uh, and then when they grew older, they became like, more popular. And they had... Obviously, that's
0: what I just said. You know, Afsteinemann Steinemann mm-hmm. lived in the most, most simple possible way to live. Worse than poverty. There is poor, and there is worse than poor. But do you know how many hundreds of millions of dollars went through his hand in the hundred years that he lived? Hundreds of millions. One billionaire in Monsi made a deal with him. Rabbi, for every night you sleep in my house, I commit to give you $300,000. Imagine the lie. Whatever you need money, all you have to do is to sleep on the $10,000 mattress in a mansion in Monsi, <laughs> and $300,000 will be put in your jacket. How many times you would go to sleep over there? you would move right in. <laughs> Rav Steinemann never went to sleep there once. What do I need money for? Anywhere the money comes to me, I give it to him, to them. One time they came to Rav Steinemann, they asked him to give money for organization over here, and they wanted to take a picture of how he gives them the money. To use it as a tool here, Rav Steinemann donates money to us. So he said, I can't help you. They almost fainted. Do you know what it means to be a Litvish Ashkenazi, to go to Rav Steinemann and ask him for a picture of support, and he said, I cannot help you? Your life is over. The rumor will be on the street in 10 minutes, and nobody would like to give you money, because if Rav Aron Leif Steinemann did not give them, that means we should all be careful from them. They went so nervous. Rumors began. So they came again on Friday, two days later. maybe you reconsider. Immediately he took $50 and gave it to them. So they said, Kvod what changed from Wednesday to now? He said, Wednesday I just did not have the money. Baruch Hashem, Hashem now I have money, I can give it to you. Meaning, two days ago he did not have $50 to his name, cash. Didn't have it. Friday yet, so he gave it to them. What about all the millions who passed through his hand? He never touched it. He gave it to the yeshivot, this. He lived, his kitchen, if you saw how it looked, you never in your life saw such thing, definitely not in America. You don't find kitchens like this in Harlem, not in East New York, not in Zimbabwe, (laughs) Nowhere. The, the the drawers do not have wheels. They used to make it wood. So if you want, I remember this when I was a kid. If you want to take a spoon from the drawer, you need to be a real muscle man. It doesn't open, especially if it opens crooked. It's not like today. You touch it, it comes out. You push it. slow. <laughs> suspension system, made in Italy. They begged him to renovate his home. His chair was his bed. And milk cart. You know the milk cart that you bring the milk after you get the milk and put the people set on them. The most simple lifestyle. They begged him to make a nice kitchen. He refused to the last day of his life. Same thing from Chaim One builder told me, I went with my son to Rav Chaim's grandson. I told him I insist to fix the place on my expense. I paint, I renovate the whole place. He said, don't get me in trouble with my grandfather. Leave it as it is. He doesn't like changes. I said, but you have mold on the wall. It's dangerous for health. Mold. Doesn't matter. My grandpa would not agree. Free renovation. Doesn't want. Why? Because once your mind is fully in a Torah, you know the more materialism you're going to have, the worse it gets.
1: So what's and it the,
0: takes away from your Ramaba, that's regardless.
1: What's the problem with working and learning Torah?
0: There's a big problem. In the old days, you could work and learn Torah and still be Rambam. Today, it's impossible to work and become Rambam. As soon as you go to work, you see all the naked people, all the wicked people, all the abomination people, all the atheists all the people that curse, and the women, the way they behave, and it takes away all your kedusha. Why? 100%. Unless you find some kind of a job that you suffer, you write tefillin, mezuzot, in the back of your house, and you don't have to see people, okay, that's no problem, you can walk. I know big chachamim, write one mezuzah a day, they make two, three hundred checks, and that's it. The rest of the day, they learn 12 hours, 14 hours. One mezuzah, or a little bit from the tefillin, they sell parashio, 2,000 shekel, end of stock. Everyone
1: is meant to learn Torah only.
0: No, that's not what I said. If you're not meant to learn Torah, don't worry, Hashem will direct you to where you have to be. But you do not know that. That's why you have to give all your life to become a ben Torah. If Hashem would insist that you're going to be somebody else, don't worry, it it will not help you. It will happen. But you don't have to think like that you have to think, I'm meant to be the Nura Vovadia. I'm going to be the Nurav Rav
1: Because
0: if you don't think like that, then what are you going to become? A bus driver. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. If you don't have dreams, when it comes to Torah, a lot of rich people became rich because they had a dream. I must become rich. They killed themselves 16, 17 hours a day, running customer. They built some uh, cash Amount, and from that they started to make a lot of money. They had a goal. One person decided, I'm going to be the best guitar player in the world. Do you know how many thousands of hours he practiced? What do you think? Just one day you become the best guitar player in the world? It's practice and practice and practice, and one day you become a millionaire. It's all in your head. If you want it, you can do it. Last question for today. Someone who did not ask, Ooh. Please. What does it mean when,
1: when it says, I think, in the cab of the Abed to nine Dereherets? How do we say that?
0: What now? Torah? You know what Dereherets mean?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Dereherets doesn't mean Parnassa. Dereherets means two things. One, manners. And second, National rules, like government rules, kingdom rules.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll
0: give you an example. In Hebrew, if you spit on the floor, someone will tell you "uch" and eretz." What's your manners? You don't have manners. That's in modern Hebrew. In ancient Hebrew, meaning Shona kodesh," "derach eretz" means "derach eretz kdamal Do You know what it means? "Derach eretz Torah" means that before Hashem gave us the rules of the Torah, what did he give us? The world already had rules army, government, taxes. Every country had rules. Before the Torah, the world was 2,400 years before the Torah. Every country had an army and general, government, like Paro and the rest. That means Derech Eretz Katmala Torah. Meaning, even before the Torah, people already had rules. But came the Torah and made it clear rules, divine rules. What you meant, I think, to say is something different than Pirkei Avot. You wanted to say, Imen Kemach en Torah. Yeah. But it's also saying Imen Torah en Kemach. In the same sentence. If there's no Torah, there's also no Parnasah. Meaning, what do you think? Thanks to the fact that we learn Torah, we all get what we need. Torah bring blessings to our
1: life.
0: Mm-hmm. Everyone who gives his life for the Torah in poverty, guarantee one day to be wealthy. Guarantee. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great,
1: wonderful Shabbat. We'll see you again. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen